This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From our virtual studios in the Netherlands. And of course, Camarillo, California. It is time once again for the Marketing Geeks. That's right. Your favorite marketing program in the world is now starting in your eardrums. And today, we are going to have a conversation deeper than you've ever had in your life. You're going to want to take this. You're going to want to write it down and save it for your Thanksgiving dinner because this is going to blow the minds of your family away. That's right. In fact, we'll wait right now while you go grab a pen and a piece of paper and get ready to take some notes because this conversation will be next level. More than next level. This is mind-numbing. This is changing. This is life-changing. Your life will be changed because of our podcast today. So get ready. Just get ready for a life-changing experience because you are with... Dang, I, I was a little early on that, huh? Man, I don't know. <laughs> I think, I think, I think what you were waiting for is uh, the part where you go. And now it is time for the marketing geeks. Hello, everybody. Marketing Welcome. geeks. Welcome. We have uh, we have a heck of a guest, uh, Alex Berman. Uh, Alex Berman is the chairman and founder of a marketing and lead generation agency known as Experiment Twenty Seven. Alex is responsible for generating millions in B2B sales for his clients over the course of his career. And he also creates a weekly YouTube videos to help agency owners grow their business and bring more revenue, teaching them how to optimize B2B sales cycles that put inbound marketing strategies in place. And he's also a former director of marketing at the 60-person three-time I, uh, I Inc. 5000 agency in New York City, and a YEC member. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Alex Berman. Hey, guys. Hello, hey. sir. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we're, we we nice. are we are not worthy. We are not. Worthy. <laughs> we're not worthy. <laughs> it's Inc. Five Hundred, by by the way. Inc. Five Thousand. It's all right. He's dyslexia. Yeah, it's okay. We we forgive him. <laughs> oh yeah, you know what? Uh, that's uh, I I'm so dyslexic. It's like the worst thing ever. It 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 is. It is like it's just terrible. Uh, so uh, Alex, thanks for joining us uh, on the show. And uh, why don't you uh, tell us a, a little bit deeper about yourself and and uh, how how you founded uh, Experiment Twenty Seven? I'd, I'd love to know how you came up with the name. Uh, yeah, give us a rundown. Yeah, definitely. Sure. I founded X Twenty Seven because. I was director of marketing at that agency and I, well, actually before I was director of marketing at that agency, I was a junior sales guy and we were splitting. It was like 14 leads a month across a team of three people. And our, and my sales goal that year was, it was something like one point, it was, it was 1 million or 750,000, something like that. And there was no way I was going to hit it with that number of leads. 
So I just started bothering the CEO until he'd let me run the marketing. And then uh, I optimized the campaigns out there. I could talk in depth about what we did, but we drove the leads up. First, it was from 14 to 40 a month and then up to over 150 leads a month. And these were with companies like uh, Alaska Airlines, McDonald's, like these are high level enterprise companies. And then um, once I did that, I mean, that whole process was something I had to learn from scratch because there was no company out there that specialized in finding really high level clients. Because our our agency, we didn't work with small businesses. And if we did work with funded startups, they had raised like five, 600,000, like they were at, at minimum decent sized startups. Yeah. Well, I so, like your, I like your style. Cause you're, you're going for the big guys. So you're going, <laughs> you're doing B2B, but you're going, you you don't have any of those limiting beliefs where you're afraid to go after the big fish. So uh, it sounds like you are, uh, you went straight for the whales and you're landing them. You went for the Gordon Gecko. Regret. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I used to do small businesses. I used to do cold calling with, uh, with this funded startup in New York and I would cold call every day. I was doing it for six months to local businesses and it's just, it's too much. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't like how local businesses yeah. are. Yeah. Uh, they, they care too much about the dollar and they care too much about marketing tasks that they don't know anything about large corporations. They are spending other people's money and they're, they, they're, uh, they're willing to give you the freedom you need to either fail or, uh, or succeed with a campaign. So they'll give you a year, for instance, yeah, which so I found true. is about the right amount of time. <laughs> One of the things we talked about before the show is that um, the fact that when you're working with smaller clients too, they tend to give you more headaches. They tend to need more handholding. They tend to require more work actually from the marketer. And then when you work with these enterprise level clients who because they've done it before. They're used to it. It's like, it's streamlined and it tends to be a lot easier and you get paid better. So it's, uh, I like your style. Like I said, going for the, going for the big ones. Yeah. I'll give you an example. We have one client at X27 who I haven't talked to in nine months and they're just paying us. And basically they hired us. We worked for three months. We are just generating results for them. And then they just at one point stopped doing standups and now we're just kind of running and it's, it's been fine, you know, knock on, knock on wood, but (laughs) <laughs> that's what happens at enterprises. That would never happen with a small business. That's uh, that's incredible. Uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about your marketing technique because you know we here on the program we talk a lot about digital marketing. We talk a lot about you know sales funnels, a lot about like SEO, uh, but but uh, we we haven't really talked too much about the the good old fashioned phone call like person to person types of lead generation. Uh, can you give us a little bit uh, rundown about your process that the company does, how you do it, and how you get those results? Sure. The biggest thing that we start with is identifying what sort of markets to go after. Because for our companies, a, a common pushback we get with, with our clients is we can do this for anybody or we can do this for any large business Uh And so the first thing we try to do is figure out what are some niches within that business that we can help. So for instance, we work with a lot of agencies and let's say you have a portfolio in design. That's amazing. What we'll look at is that portfolio and we'll try to find, all right, you did this project for Pepsi like a year ago. Let's go out and let's try to find other soda companies and see if that works. And you did this project with, uh, uh, Starbucks. Let's go out and try to find other retail establishments. So that's the first thing we do is we map out what case studies do they have? And then how can we come up with a, a campaign for each one of those? Then uh, we, for the first four weeks, we come up with four different, I call them niches. I mean, everyone calls them niches, but <laughs> uh, four different offers that we can sell. And then four different markets that we're going after uh, very specifically. 
And then we test all four of those offers using cold email and see which one wins. And then we'll scale based on that. Um, because that's, that's the big thing. And where do you get your, what's up? That's cool. Where where do you get your list from generally? Usually we just build them using, usually we build them using LinkedIn or a lot of the times I'll start by finding a lead pool, which is a list of companies. And when you're going with the top, it's actually a lot easier to find these people. You just search top hotel chains and then you'll get Marriott, you'll get Walter Fastoria, you'll get, you know, MGM resorts. You, if you, Google is usually the first place we start and then we'll use LinkedIn to fill out the exact contacts. And then we use a tool like uh, Walla Norbert or uh, email hunter to guess the email addresses. Yeah. It used to be that you could just go in the back end of LinkedIn and download the uh, spreadsheet, but they've cracked down on that now. So you have to use those third party tools. So. Exactly. That, and that was only the with, good old days are gone. That was only with connections, right? Or, or it was, it was with, it was with connections, but if you have a lot of connections, yeah, that's true. It was well, only with connections. I like uh, selling to people I'm, so. to people I'm not connected with at all. I I like to sit down and and think of who are the, who are the clients that would, for this specific company we're working with, who are the clients that would completely change their business? So for instance, how do we find them? The Starbucks, the Cadobas, the Dunkin' Donuts, like these are all people we've, we've had meetings with the Krispy Kremes. Like how do we get, how do we get businesses that if they close these deals are going to lead to dozens and dozens of clients because they can put them on their website? So when you reach out to these big companies, are you going directly to the specific positions at the company? Are you going directly to those decision makers? Or do you have a strategy where you just, where you blast out like the entire company or like who, what positions are you targeting? I mean, or, is it, or is there, does it vary depending on what your goals are? It varies, but they're super targeted cold emails. So we found that in order to get in with these companies, um, the almost the entire email has to be written from scratch for each target at least a custom first yeah. line with a compliment that makes it seem like you're not sending to a huge list. Um, and then yep. from there, yeah, the title depends on what you're selling. For instance, if we're selling video production, our offer might be a three minute commercial, you know, video production to factories, our offer might be a three minute commercial to uh, demonstrate the factory to help them get more clients, get them more contracts. Uh, so then we're going after whoever uh, the factory marketing manager or even the CEO. I'm, I'm a huge fan of starting at the top and having them, push you down. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's interesting, I, I just came back from a traffic and conversions conference in San Diego and they, uh, and we've talked about this in the last couple episodes, but they really hammered in the, that we're moving towards more personalization and that, you know, automation and generic messaging is kind of dying right now. And, and even on LinkedIn, cause I, I'm, I have 12,000 contacts on LinkedIn or whatever, and I probably get like 20 cold messages a day. And if I read the first line, so I like what you said, because when I read the first line and it's, not speaking to me, then I just ignore the rest. So it's really about that first line and and developing um, and, and making it personal. So I think that's a big. There's a big. Uh, there's a big truth to that. So there's um we we have data for it too. We saw it was it wasn't even a a ten percent increase. It wasn't a thirty percent increase when we started customizing the first line. Our response rate and our meeting wow. book rate both went up by ten times. It went from. It was one percent to an average of ten percent. It was insane. So, so uh, what does what does that email look like? So, because you know, uh, I get a lot of uh, different emails every day, like either people emailing me to my company or emailing, uh, you know, messaging me on LinkedIn. And most people are doing it wrong. So, how how would you kind of format that type of email if you're doing uh, an outreach to somebody who uh who's doing like just a cold yeah. lead? What's like a sample line? That? How's that? Yeah, so the <laughs> simplest thing to think about the the simplest way I think about it is uh, it's three parts. So, it's compliment, 
what you're offering, who you've done it with, and that's it. And if you can hit, the, and then a solid call to action at the end. So something like, you know, uh, hey, Andros, big fan of Marketing Geeks, been listening to your podcast for a really long time. I help podcasters edit their podcast more effectively. Um, we've done that for the Tim Ferriss show and dozens of others that get millions of listeners would love to do the same for you. An episode costs $20. Let's go for it. I love it. Sold. So, so you would go right for the ask, uh, right off the, the top for that specific example. If I was selling to you guys, I would for an enterprise company. Usually what we do is uh, similar. So, Hey, Hey, Mark, huge fan of Walmart. Uh, been shopping at your store for years. Love the growth recently. I'm with a company that does uh, social media services for large retail corporations. We've worked with Goodwill and Home Depot and would love to do similar for you. Would you mind if I sent over a few times for a call? So let me ask you this because yep. I'm sure we're going to get this from our listeners. So if they haven't if they haven't locked in a big client yet, how would you approach it if you don't have that social proof element um, going for you in the beginning? You got to get it. The quickest way I found to actually get the social proof element is to reach out to agencies that already have case studies and partner with them. Um, and by partner with them, I mean, you reach out to them, you say, Hey, I, uh, I would love to introduce you to my overflow clients. Would you mind if I sent them your case study? And then they say yes. And then now you have a case study from home Depot that you can use. Just make sure you work with the, I like it. That's a good just strategy. make sure you work with the agency. So it's ethical. <laughs> But yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you'd be surprised. Uh, I mean, I did this recently just for a demonstration. I called two companies and I only had to call two. The first one didn't pick up. The second one gave us the, the uh, permission. So agencies really love overflow work and all you need is that yes. And then you can instantly add huge corporations to your list. And that lets you get other big corporations. Wow. And, and you haven't had a problem with uh, those agencies uh, letting you do that? No, because all agencies want more business. So if you go out and you're like, hey, I have contacts in the uh, CPG industry and I'd love to introduce you to my clients. Can I use your case studies? I mean, it's very hard to say no. Uh, even if, yeah. even if yeah. they've been burned in the past. Burned in the past usually means a sales guy has done that and then just hasn't sent them any clients. And that happens to agencies all the time. I know when I was working at an agency, we had deals with dozens and dozens of people, just random people would call us and we would just give them, you know, Hey, yeah, sure. Introduce us. It's fine. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. So, um, tricks of the trade. So let me ask you if, if, if you have the, the, okay, you've sent out this first email and the, uh, you don't get a response. Uh, what would be your next point of action? Like what would be your next action step? The next email is usually sent about four days later and it's bumping it up to the top. And this email, it can be sent four days later. If you have any emails sitting in your, in your inbox, I'd recommend sending this too, because this works even like six, seven months later. Um, and it's just a simple, Hey, Mark, I'm sure you're busy. Wanted to make sure this didn't get buried and just bump. And then it's the same, the same copy that you the copy's automatic. So you send it as a reply to the previous message. So you just bump it up. Got it. Yeah. A lot of people Got try it. to put an Got extra it. pitch in here, but most of the time, the email does get buried. Like I've that, just adding an email like that can double yeah. your meetings from cold email for real. Now, how, how many wow. times do you follow up typically if, um, with these clients, like, do you, do you set like an automated campaign? Yeah. Like we're going to have one go out day one, one go out day four. And then obviously if they, if they open it, it changes, but can you tell me about that? It's usually four. So there's that first four. one. And then, uh, I'm sure you're busy. You wanted to make sure this didn't get buried. 
then the next one after that, like three, four days later, is something about the value. Um, I usually frame it around, hey, I was just talking to the CMO at another major potato chip manufacturer, and they're dealing with uh, this issue as well. You know, and I'll say whatever the issue is. So they're dealing with low repeat purchase rate. Also, we were able to help them solve it by, you know, adding a mobile app that more effectively gathered customer uh, feedback. Are you around awesome. later this week? Would love to talk about doing the same for Blaze potato chips. And then the fourth. That's. E- uh, oh, go ahead. oh, sorry. Go on. I was just going to say the fourth email. What were you? You're going to say compliment? <laughs> no, I was going to. I was going to go on from there, but I, I didn't realize the fourth email. Tell me. Tell me about the, the big secret on this. Uh, the fourth email is a breakup, and I, I try to soften the breakup email. It's basically um, <laughs> normally it goes, uh, "Hey, Mark. At this point, I'll assume that increasing repeat purchase rates for your customers isn't a priority this year. Please feel free to reach out if that changes. Would love to work together." It's not you. It's me. Okay. And I had to add the I had to add the would love to work together because people were complaining that I was being a dick in the email. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I, whenever I, I've been in relationships and I always use that line, like, you know, it's, it's, it's not you, it's me. I'm lying. It's always, no, it's you. It's definitely you. Do you it's end it? Me. Do you it's end you. it with, I'd love to work together in the future, Honduras? Is that what you end up with? I always do. I always do. And usually I just get a long, hard stare. Just like, you know, yeah. and I go on a Tinder date and then I, I was just like, listen, this ain't going to work out, but I'd love to work with you in the future. In business, um, it's a little I, I want to ask a little bit about more about LinkedIn okay. because I know you're doing uh, on your website, it talks about your LinkedIn services. So do you mainly use LinkedIn to scrape the data and then you move into the cold email strategy or do you do any direct messaging campaigns on LinkedIn and have you found much success if you're doing like direct messaging campaigns? For us, the thing that works best um, for uh, for any new sales uh, channel is email. Uh-huh. And then second is going to be SEO. LinkedIn, I haven't had too much success on LinkedIn. Um yeah, I mean, I know we offer it on the, uh, I know we offer it on the website and we do use it for data. Like LinkedIn sales navigator is yeah. amazing for having a good database of context, but I always, I'm a big believer in going directly for the money where people are. And I think the chance that somebody's on email, at least I've, I've found the chance that somebody is using email is much higher than the chance that somebody's active on LinkedIn. Yeah. And we did a whole episode about deliverability for cold emails, but um, I'm, I'm curious if you have found any of the email marketing platforms are get better delivery rates than others. Is there a, a preferred email marketing platform that you use? Cause we, we have mm-hmm. talked about like the DKIM, the SPF, the Anyth- policies, all that. Anything that sends um, through, I'd like to hear about that. Anything that send, so I use Google apps for work. Uh, our whole team does for sending emails. So anything that plugs into the Gmail mail servers. Um, yeah. So yes, where Mailshake. Anything like that works fine. Um, and then in, yeah, in terms of email is always the, there's always the big challenge. I mean, uh, if you're running like through MailChimp or something, it's very difficult to kind of get through the Gmail filters often. So, okay. So, yeah, I like that. so you just use Gmail to send. And then if you customize each email, you don't run into spam issues either. The more custom, the better. And then if the email address is warm, the better. Um, meaning oh, your yeah. email should be, your email address should be old, meaning at least like a month old. You should create your email address about a month before and sign up to stuff like Twitter or Facebook or random newsletters just to get the email inbox going before you start sending cold emails. Otherwise, you're going to end up in spam. Makes right. sense. That's cool. So, so okay, so you, you've sent out some emails. Um, uh, how would you handle a business that, say, has a lot of competition? One of my clients right now, for instance is uh, they do supply chain management. They have a piece of software and uh, they're barely holding on because the competition is so 
fierce. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've talked about uh, uh, red ocean versus blue ocean, uh, where all the sharks are swimming. <laughs> uh, how would you handle uh, approaching somebody, especially in a business where maybe they're getting these types of uh, uh, offers or emails on a daily basis? How do you how do you rise up above the the crowd? The first thing I'd think about is. So you do supply chain management. I would look at their case studies and ask them who their most successful client is first. What industry are they in? What are their problems? What are the problems they solved? Things like that. And then I would focus all of my efforts on cloning that person. So finding as many people like them as possible. Um, well, actually, do you know who their most successful client is? Like what kind of industry they're in and everything? I can give you an example. Yeah, I mean it's it, it, it it's it's medium medium to large size companies, but they don't have like a huge huge client, so it's not like something that they. It's more like small medium sized businesses. Not a household name. Not a household. Okay, name. but what industry is their large client in, or their most not uh, large, most it's, successful client? It's most, most successful client would be like uh, like uh, just delivery to warehouses from like a food distributor. Okay. So then what I would do is focus an entire campaign on reaching out to other food distributors and talking about that win. So that's, that's where you differentiate because all of these supply ma- chain management companies are going to be doing what they're doing, which is not, they're, they're talking supply chain management, right? So if you want a blue ocean, you say you mm-hmm. do food chain management or something like you only do supply chain management for food specifically, right? Like you are, I see. you're bringing it in at a certain time to make sure that the food doesn't spoil, uh, whatever the, whatever it turns out to be. But that's the way that I would approach a campaign for them is try to make it seem like their company only does this for food companies. And it, se- it, it seems it. like so that the- would lead to less clients, but that actually separates you from everybody else. And that's how you create a blue ocean. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. So, so, you know, personalized email marketing, obviously it takes uh, a, a lot of bandwidth. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't bulk send uh, a bunch of people, but uh, uh, you, you have some other um, uh, services that you offer on your website. So what, what other types of lead generation, uh, like how would you go about other types of lead generation? Do you like once these types of things are exhausted for a client, what else would you do? Uh, they're never exhausted for a client, but <laughs> no, the other thing we do is, um, <laughs> the other thing we do is cold calling works really well to chase people down. So calling people, it still works if you do it correctly. Um, doing it correctly means doing it exactly as the cold email is just say, um, just call them and say, Hey, uh, we are helping or, Hey, we just built a data platform for IBM that helped them uh, improve their systems uh load by 10 percent or whatever like say whatever the benefit is uh and would love to do the same for you are you guys open to talking and that's what works really well in cold mm-hmm. calls uh the other thing is it's seo but i put seo in quotes because it really is uh directory management meaning you search the keywords that their clients might use and then instead of trying to rank for number one for those keywords uh you find sites like clutch.co for instance if you search best mobile app developers that list the best um, or that anyone could submit to. And then you game those systems to become number one because those are the trusted sites. So you rank them. That, that's how, that's what we do, we've done for a few agencies um, to get, to get so a lot like of with leads. backlinks or what are you saying there with like you, you're getting them to give a backlink or no, well, sort of, it's more of a, so for instance, if you search best design companies right now, uh, number one is okay. a site called clutch.co. Mm-hmm. Number two is a site called AppSheetura. Uh, there might be like, you know, biz by, or there might be like uh whatever, some databases on there. And what I found is customers will click number one 
Uh, they'll go over to something like App Futura and they'll see a list of design companies. Then they'll pick one and that's it. They reach out to a bunch. So what I found most effective is ranking on those sites versus ranking on Google, which could okay. take forever. And you could rank like you can Not get number on one on App Futura in, in, a, in months, you know, like versus getting number one on Google for a keyword like that, which could take years or maybe never even happen. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. And, and how would you go about doing that? How would you get like ranked on, on, a, on a website? Like so that? it depends on each site. We were number one on Clutch for a long time. And actually we're like number one, four, eight. Like we're all over Clutch with all our different clients right now, uh, which is another database like that. And it's, it's, um, it's messing with whatever the specific database is. So for a lot of them, uh, it is how often the profiles refreshed. So for some of our profiles, we'll just go in and like change the word and to an ampersand once a week or even once a day to boost <laughs> us up, um, adding new reviews. Awesome. So we'll reach out to the clients and get those clients to leave reviews on the site. Uh, and, and we just game the sites or whatever. We do exactly what they want, but just nobody really is focusing on it. Um, we did we did huh. the same for Cora. It's a similar move. Uh, if a Cora question is ranking, which they almost never rank now, Cora is basically dead. But for a while, they were generating a lot of leads. Um, so, for instance, if you search best lead generation, the top one of the top results used to be who are the top lead generation companies. So I just went in with my Cora account and wrote our name right at the top, and that generated a bunch of leads. We've done the same with all of our clients. <laughs> It's like editing Wikipedia. Yeah, no, it, it really is. There is a, a, a box at the top that anyone can edit and that works. And then also if you get the top rated uh, comment, that works too. But, but we didn't even need it wow. most of the time. We just needed to get in that. Oh, I want to change gears. I want to change gears a little bit because I know that you have a YouTube channel and you are, um, you're, you're doing, are you daily on YouTube or weekly on YouTube? We do three times a week. Three times a week. Okay. So I want to, I want to hear a little bit about, um, the mindset behind, are, are you using, I want to hear like, are you using YouTube as like an authority builder just to build your audience, generate awareness? I want to hear a little bit about what your, your goals or outcomes are with YouTube. And then also, um, about how you're optimizing YouTube to get more video views and, you know, spreading your message. Sure. Uh, YouTube, I never really got into it for audience building. I got into it to make money, um, from consulting clients. Uh, and I think that's actually the yeah. best way to use YouTube. So what I used to do is I would create a video on a specific topic and I still do this, create a video on a specific topic, answering a specific question, and then share it out on Quora, share it out on Reddit, wherever to drive traffic, uh, or cold email, send, send the video to cold email. Although I've, I've moved on cause I'd rather just pitch the company directly. Um, but no, that's, that's the main thing. Uh, YouTube is the number one driver of leads for Every business I run, uh, our apparel company gets leads from YouTube, our production company, our lead gen company, they all get leads from, from YouTube. So it's, it's huge. Um, and then in terms of optimization, I found that anyone can create those listicle type content. And that's what most people recommend. Um, I would say if you're going to do listicle content, every single example needs to be tied to a specific client that you've worked with or a specific case study. That's, that's been the biggest differentiator for us um, and, and our clients content as well is we'll never just say like, uh, we'll never say something like, you need a better design on your website. This guy from HubSpot said this works. We'll instead say, uh, adding a design to your website could increase conversions by 20%, you know, better design. And then we'll say, hey, when we redid one of our clients' websites, this is what happened. So talking almost exclusively in case studies is what actually leads to uh, to making money on YouTube. And our, our channel makes more than a lot of people with like- So would it be yeah, fair yeah. to say that you are a fan of social proof? <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, we do it on our. I don't. I don't know if it's social proof. I guess that is the the way to call it. But that's the way we do our sales calls too. It's all testimonials. It's all talking about what we've done in the past, and uh, basically stretching every story you have. Like if if you think about your business and you think about your most successful client, I bet you could cut it twenty five ways. You could come up with twenty five case studies based on that one client. Yeah. So it's just hitting the same clients over and over again until you can get new clients. That's pretty amazing. Okay. So, so let's say, um, that you're a company, right. And you like, let, let's put the shoe on the other foot. So you're, you're, you're a business, you're trying to just generate leads yourself. Um, they don't have you, what would be the, the first thing that they would do themselves? Like if they were going to be, uh, doing it like kind of hands-on, how, how would you recommend that they go about, uh, would, would you recommend that they create a YouTube channel, do some similar things? Like what would you recommend just to the average person? They want to have a YouTube channel. Well, just as they want to have a YouTube channel to generate leads. Yeah. Like how would you, how would you go about doing that? I would make it at least based on what I've done. I would make it based on your personal brand instead of your company, because what I've found is companies fail, but you're around until you die usually. So <laughs> if your whole thing's built around your company name and then your company goes under, uh, or you abandon the concept, what are you going to do? Abandon your YouTube audience too. So having a person, yeah. having it tied to a personal brand is what I would do. And then if you don't want to make the content yourself, uh, I would at least be on video if it's tied to you, but you can have someone else write the content. It's, and the minimum you need to do is tell a story, a personal anecdote off, off the top, or you can even have an intern come up with the bullet points of the content. Uh, you just have to, you have to mention your, your work for anything that you say. Um, the, the days of like an authority coming to you, almost like a, a God reading from the Bible, you know, uh, <laughs> th I, that's kind of over. Uh, people would rather see real yeah. examples and the more vulnerable you can be, the better. Uh, I have people in my audience that have tried making YouTube channels. And the reason why they fail is because they're quoting data that anybody else can use. They're quoting like HubSpot data or data from you know, maybe they're, maybe they're talking about something they heard on this podcast, you know, <laughs> but they're not yeah, talking, um, yeah. but they're not talking about things that they've personally done. And that, that is the biggest change. And we do, we do that for our clients too. Uh, we sit down, we interview our clients, uh, with every topic. So for instance, uh, once, once a month we'll sit down and we'll have the six, seven topics laid out that we want to hit. And then we'll say, can you tell me a story about this topic? Like something that relates to this topic. And we'll just make a note of all that and, and incorporate it. That's the bare minimum you need to do. So how important is uh, production level of these videos too? Do you, do you, um, does, do you need to have super solid production or can anyone grab their cell phone and, or zoom and, you know, do a screen share and do a successful video? I'm just, I, I was curious, like how important is the editing? How important is production level? What would you say to that? Editing is more important than production level, uh, but you can also find an editor on Upwork for $10 a video or less. So there's no real excuse and you shouldn't be editing the content yourself anyway. I would, I would sit down if I were you for an hour, see if you can record three or four videos, make sure you stay on a topic for 10, 15 minutes each, and then send them to an editor yes. on Upwork. Yeah. It was interesting that you talked about how you shouldn't be quoting other people's success kind of on the, on the things. That's one of the things that Google and RankBrain have been, uh, I've been reading about is that if you are, if you're curating content from other people's blogs or websites and you're kind of rewriting them and rebranding them as yours, those are being essentially punished because Google is now favoring original content. And it sounds like that's exactly what's going on with a lot of these other platforms too. Everyone's looking for original content, your story, not somebody else's story spun a different way. Yeah. And I just think about, I didn't even know about that. I just think about what works for the client, right? If you're going to hire, 
let's say you're going to hire a marketing consultant. Would you want the marketing consultant that's always talking about Neil Patel's data? Or would you rather just hire Neil Patel? <laughs> yeah. Ty Lopez. <laughs> right. So, uh, so you're, uh, so, you know, I, I mean, creating, I, I agree with you, creating YouTube channels uh, in, in creating that original content is definitely the way to go. Uh, how do you, what's your take on Facebook marketing yeah. and uh, like Google display network uh, yeah. along or those lines? Driving traffic through those platforms. I'm curious too about paid traffic through Facebook or Google. Yeah. Uh, I haven't seen too much success on those. That's why I focus on direct to client. So our, our main drivers are, our main drivers are cold email. Our second main driver is content, stuff like the YouTube channel and SEO. Well, SEO in quotes, like ranking on directories and Quora answers and stuff. Yeah, I will say that I see more failures than successes on Facebook marketing uh, or Facebook advertising. So, I mean, I have seen some pretty big successes, but, but you know, more often than not, those campaigns are failing. Yeah, I've spent, I've so spent, you know, uh, hundred, I've spent almost a hundred thousand dollars on Facebook ads. It's just like, I keep trying yeah. it. I keep running at the wall. One day, <laughs> one day I will break yeah. through. It's just not going to figure out that, figure out that secret. <laughs> right. But it's like, if you have, yeah. if you have a channel like cold emailing where you can iterate quick and you can build a hundred leads in an afternoon and you could be talking to your clients instantly. Uh, for me, yeah. that's a lot easier than waiting for weeks and spending hundreds of dollars on Facebook ads, trying to, trying to just guess at what the client might want. Cause you get on one good client call, you could learn more than you could on six months of Facebook ads and guessing because the client, if you're riffing on something or you're talking about one benefit of your platform and the client is totally interested in something completely different. I mean, that could change your entire marketing and that's off one call. You're never going to get yeah, that from that's Facebook. For sure. Now you also do public relations, PR, that type of thing. How effective is, uh, those types of things like doing press releases? Um, uh, I mean, in my, in, in my view, you should, uh, basically be releasing a press release, every, every couple of weeks, uh, even, you know, just to find something that might be newsworthy because you never know who might, uh, attach, uh, you like find something interesting in that and then, uh, call you up. So uh, do you find that an effective, uh, methodology or uh, do you use that often? We use it a lot. I mean, cold email outreach is great for getting PR as well. The, um, the main thing is I'm not worried about your rank on Google, right? I'm not worried about begging for backlinks or anything like that. What I'm going to do is I'll find podcasts or I'll find, uh, they don't call them blogs. I was trying to think of what, is, what do they call them? They don't call them blogs <laughs> anymore. What, uh, news websites that are relevant, uh, things like that, YouTube channels. And we'll reach out to those guys specifically or ladies, whoever. Um, we'll reach out to those people specifically with something that's super relevant to them. That's, that's the main thing. We've driven a lot of YouTube views by. So, so by reaching out to people with similar videos. So for instance, uh, the CEO of T-Mobile, we did a mini documentary on him uh, like a six months or two months ago, two, three months ago. And so we emailed everybody that had written about him and we were like, Hey, really love the article you did on, on John Ledger. Uh, think you'd like this video as well. And that was it. And we've driven a lot of traffic that way. And I noticed in your yeah. bio, your bio, you also were, uh, you're a member of the Young Entrepreneurs Club. Mm -hmm. And uh, I wanted to kind of hear about your, what's that? Young Entrepreneurs Council. Okay. Council. Sorry. Uh, I wanted to hear about your experience with that. And have you used that to get into some major publications? Cause I know that they, uh, I had a conversation with them and they talk about getting you into like Forbes and different, um, different major publications. And if you have kind of, how has that benefited you or what, uh, what kind of value have you seen from that? For me, what you see has been an ego play fully. I mean, the most, 
the only real benefit we have is just it's a cool group of people, you know, and I think mentally I get a boost saying I'm in the YEC. Uh, yeah. So I have been a Forbes contributor. I've been an entrepreneur. I've been on Huffington, like all any name, name a site like that. I've been on it. Um, but all of that is from cold email and pitching relevant articles to them. Not through uh, not through connections like uh, like what you see. But some people definitely get value from it. I, I mean, this, yeah. Yeah. And this is really interesting because, you know, uh, like I said, a, a lot of times we on the show and, and the guests that we have on, we focus a lot on like the digital kind of almost semi-automated uh, aspects of, of marketing. But, uh, but, but the, it really is important to do like the grunt work and just like, you know, pick up the phone, write an email. I remember, um, uh, Justin and I were, uh, we, we like a lot of marketers do, we hit this, uh, kind of this dead zone and we had no work coming in. And so, uh, he and I were just like, you know what, let's pick, let's sit down and pick up the phone and we're going to call every single lead we've ever had until we just land something. And within two hours we had, we had, we had a job. Yeah. Imagine if you did that uh, every day, you know, (laughs) Uh, yeah, that would, that would mean I would have to work (laughs) kind of, you know, I used to think I had chronic fatigue syndrome and then I realized I'm just lazy. (laughs) No, but, but in all seriousness, it's, it's true. It's like when, when I, when I, uh, when I really do these particular steps, uh, that you've suggested, uh, the return on that investment is absolutely uh, phenomenal. In fact, uh, I have a huge client right now and, uh, they went to a, um, uh, a trade show and they got like 550 cards, uh, and leads once the uh, entire thing was over. And, uh, and they were, they, they hired me to do some email marketing for them and they wanted me to use, uh, uh, Salesforce to, uh, send out a, an email, like just a general email. And, uh, and I, I, I said, you know what guys, the, the best thing for us to do, and this is going to be more time consuming, but let's send every single one of these people a personal email instead. And I think that will have far better results. And indeed that was the case. It took a lot more time, but in the end of the day, that's, that was what, what, what got the results. So, um, yeah, we try to do all this, uh, you know, we try to do all this automation. I, I think it is, it does come down to a laziness and a wanting to outsource everything, but like, I just had a consulting client. I just talked to him. He had under 10 customers and he was worried about offering his time for free to get these guys onboarded on his software platform. And I, I, I told him, I'm like, you cold call these guys and you generate revenue for them. That's, that's how you get them to pay you. And for some people, for some reason he would like it, 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 he eventually decided to do it, but it took so long to even get that through to him that he could yeah. just cold call these guys and help them like even his current customers help them generate more revenue or people on his free trial help them actually generate more revenue using his platform it, yeah it is kind of funny yeah. that there are a lot of very small companies that are like obsessing over automation and they don't need it at all at this point you know, in the beginning of their business so uh, that is a and in fact keen can be a detriment because I got to tell you, if I, if I get a, uh, like a message request or an email and it has that automation feel to it, I just like, it, there's a part of me that's just like the, the, the lack of authenticity just immediately makes me go, oh, to hell with these guys, you know? Uh, I, and, and so, uh, I think that the, the whole idea of like really making the, the, the subject line or the, the first line a little more customized makes 
uh, a lot more sense. And, you know, yeah, it takes a little more time to actually, you know, discover who this person is, do a little research. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, is that one bit of time going to net you a lot of money? And it, it and most likely it will just the law of averages. I mean, and, and um, most people know yeah, this. Yeah, what if, most people like you ask them, hey, if you had no money, you wanted to get one client today, like you had to get one client, what would you do? And it is going to be asking for referrals. It's going to be cold calling. It's going to be, you know, talking to your old boss, seeing if he'll take you back. You know, it's going to be something like that. And yet, <laughs> yeah. and yet we don't do it. Begging. That's the type of stuff we should be doing every single day. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, uh, one of the other things that your company offers, and I think this is really interesting because I, I don't see too many marketing companies uh, offer this, is events and meetups. Uh, you, you will put together an event or a meetup for, a, uh, uh, for uh, another company. Uh, tell me like how you do that, what the success rate is and, and the types of things that you do around sure. it. So we've had a bunch of events in, in New York, LA, Austin, uh, San Francisco. Um, those are the, the main cities. I think we did one in Portland too. Um, but yeah, no, the main thing to, to think about is, so for the one we did in New York, uh, it was all about how to design your, how to best design your enterprise application. That was the name of the event. And so we cold emailed a bunch of people to invite them to the event. We listed a bunch of directories. Actually, we did the exact same thing we would do to market a business, but for the specific event. So for instance, you search, uh, you know, top events, New York city. Uh, or top tech events, New York, top tech events, San Francisco, uh, Gary's guide comes up, which is another directory, just like clutch, but just for events. So we posted it there and we uh, emailed Gary and asked if we could bump it up. And I think we paid him like 30 bucks or something for a sponsorship. Like it was, it was very, uh, it's very simple. Nice. This stuff happen. Um, but no, then the, the wow. content of the event is almost like a live webinar. So you teach the thing you have to teach. You sell the dream a little bit of what you do. And then you have a close at the end. So, hey, we do this for other companies. If you want to work with us, come up to me after this or better yet, uh, PayPal X dollars to this PayPal.me. And then you just kind of leave it up on screen. Do you, do you usually make like a direct offer like that where you have an amount or do you more often like to get them on like a consult, like a strategy session or a consultation? Most of the time I like to do a strategy session. I'm moving more towards trying to get people to pay up front for our consulting. Yeah. I don't do any back and forth. So people will pay, you know, whatever it is, $800 an hour uh, without me ever yeah, having I to mean, talk to them. And they, they I, will. It's f totally fine. You see a landing page. Well, they will. Work. No, I, I come, I mean, I come from the seminar background and um, one of my, one of my clients or I worked, uh, I was subcontracted under, he, he was selling a hundred thousand dollar packages from the stage uh, after a five day event and he was selling them. So I know that people will pay it. <laughs> that showed me yeah. when I saw people buying hundred thousand dollar packages, that was an eye opening. Yeah. No, so, the big thing that we're, yeah. the big thing we're dealing with right now is I'm still trying to crack the code on how to have enterprise companies do it effectively. Uh, mm -hmm. Cause it's a little tough, but what I found is if you boil your offer. So for instance, let's say you're selling a $30,000 video, you boil your offer down to as small a thing as possible. Um, so instead of selling the entire commercial for 30 K, maybe you're selling the storyboard for 700. Uh, you can hard close those guys within two calls. It still does take two calls. You got to do call number one to kind of get their needs. Call two, you come up with the offer and then you you get them to pull their credit card out there. Um, and then once they, once they close at 700, then you push for the 30,000. And what I found is they're a lot more likely to close and they'll close within 30 yeah. days if they buy the $700 thing versus them closing six months, seven months later if they don't buy anything in the first call or two. Interesting. So yeah, just absolutely. stuff like, like it's, it's all about just messing around, you know, 
For for me, it was uh, getting completely tired of seeing our six month contact close as a sales cycle, and I was like, no. all right, how, how do I crush this down to two calls? This, this sucks. <laughs> now, do you have any advice for? Because uh, I'm sure listeners will have this. I've had this. Like, I've had a lot of success cold calling, but I always like dread it. I always dread cold calling. Do you have any? strategies or uh, I know I was reading Jordan Belfort's book and he talks about like olfactory anchoring and like yeah, crazy no, no, no. strategies there's, like that. There's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Like you got to get your pitch correct. You got to make them laugh in the first couple. So there's all this stuff. If you're not into it, I would, if I were you make a couple cold calls, see if, see how much money you make, right? Like just kind of sell over cold call. And then if you're, if you're uh, making any sort of money at all, then hire somebody to do it. You know, hire a cold yeah. caller at $25 an hour on Upwork. There, there are a bunch of them in, in the United States ready to sell, hungry for, for this, you know? So uh, you could do that without selling the, on the phone yourself at first, but it will take, it, you'll spend a bunch of money. Basically, it's, it's similar to Facebook ads at that point. If you just hop on mm-hmm. like three, four calls yourself, you can get the script down and then that, that'll put you like six, seven, eight months ahead. But no, that's what, that's what I'd recommend. Try to figure out a way to make money on you know, try to figure out how to make money and then spend that money that you made on hiring someone to make money for you in that area. Then you never have to do it again. Yeah, that's a great, that's, a, that's like the best <laughs> advice ever. You know, and it, it's really funny because one of the things that um, uh, a, a, a lot of uh, our seven listeners, they reach out to me on Facebook and they say, or on uh, LinkedIn and they go, Hey, I, I, I love the show, but you know, I, how would you recommend me even getting my first uh, job? I don't have any type of experience. And, and my, my answer to that is like, first of all, don't like think about getting hired, get yourself an LLC, because when you get an LLC, it changes the conversation with yourself from, oh, I've got to get a job. So someone will pay me money. And I'm kind of floating until then to there's money out there. I just have to pick up the phone and go get it. Right. And, and it it is incredibly easy to make money in this world if you just pick up the phone or write an email. And I think that a lot of people sell themselves short because they don't have the confidence to just, you know, go, Hey, I, I'm, I've got, I've got worth and I've got something I want to offer you. Uh, And people, you know, I I think it's a rare skill, but it's something that can be developed by just about uh, anybody. And, you know, that's, that's something that obviously you have it. But uh, uh, so so how would you uh, approach somebody who doesn't quite have that skill developed? And even if they are afraid to pick up the phone and they they freeze up, uh, how would you get someone in the mindset so they can get through that and have a personal breakthrough? So the way to the way to stop freezing up is to write out what you're going to say in a script. I know that sounds annoying, but write it out. Read it to your read it out loud to yourself four, five, six times, record yourself every time and then start making calls. You'll know exactly what to say. Okay. Cause I, I, uh, I, I, I hate the sound of my voice and I never listen to this show. Uh, because of that. <laughs> well, no. So I found, I found, uh, it's, it's, it's strange, but one of the best ways to sales train is to listen to yourself on the phone. You don't need yeah, Grant absolutely. Cardone. You don't need, uh, you know, Victor Antonio, you don't yeah, need yeah. a sales trainer. All you need to do is listen to yourself on the phone. And you'll automatically become a better salesperson. And that's actually the same for scripts. I had flashbacks. I used to work in telemarketing and we had, uh, we read a script like the entire, like we had, we were just 
you know, on script the entire time we had scripted rebuttals, scripted everything. But over time, you, you know, I did memorize it and I did, someone asked me a question. I knew the exact answer because I've been doing it for so long. So it does work. Um, but yeah, it does. It also makes you feel like a zombie sometimes. But then again, I was sitting there for like eight hours a day reading the same script versus just making a few calls. So, <laughs> well, the, the point is to, I mean, you got to convince yourself that you haven't heard it before a million times, like try to get inside their mind yeah. and know that they haven't heard the script a billion times. So even if, even if you are becoming yeah. a zombie, like you got to try to get in their mindset and, and actually curse of knowledge. Time. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you sit yeah. in a, you sit in a call center, it's clear. There's some cold callers that are just, they sound like they're reading. And then there's some that are saying the same words that are in the script, but it feels like it's coming from their heart. And the yeah. only difference there is it's repetition. It's being uh, confident in what you're saying. And then it's just going out there and not zoning out. It's being there in every single conversation. Well, you know, you know who will always accept you no matter what you do and always think you're great, even if you're not. Who's that? It's time once again for the sex robot report, because a sex robot will always always give you the feedback you want to hear right when you want <laughs> until, to hear it. until they Thanks. become self-aware and then they might not yeah well they, <laughs> they they may tell you that anyway just to keep you complacent so uh which uh this is actually not a story it's a it's an interesting interview from uh, interviewmagazine.com and uh i just like the headline it is uh will sex robots uh, cure the incel phenomenon. This was a uh, British computer scientist and author Kate Devlin was interviewed by uh, Interview Magazine. And uh, they had a long conversation. It's uh, too long. Uh, I don't want to get into it now. But but just uh, I just want to pose this question to uh, our seven listeners uh, and to you guys. Uh, do, do you think that sex robots can actually cure the incel phenomenon? Now, now we talked about, I, I mentioned this before the show started, Justin, you said you had no idea what an incel was. Yeah. I've uh, never heard of, I've not heard of this term. Okay. So, so, and Alex, you have, uh, basically it, uh, an incel is a person who is a, uh, it's a term for involuntary celibate person who decides that, uh, they are, uh, they, they are like usually young males who feel that they're owed sex. And since they don't get it, because women are uh, awful, then uh, they sh they they get angry, and oh. uh, they yeah. And so so there's actually I heard of this podcast. Uh, it was actually one of the most terrifying podcasts I've ever heard in my life. It was uh, a guy found um, uh, this person who is a self proclaimed incel, and what he has done is uh, created an AI program that if he sees a woman online who says something that he doesn't like, he basically uses this AI algorithm to find pictures of this woman, information about this woman. And then uh, he has a database of uh, porno actresses and he can digitally put this woman's face that he doesn't like on a porno actress. Hmm. And then he sends it to all of her friends on her private. Uh, That's a little email. excessive. Uh, yeah, and he does it all automatically. And, uh, and so, uh, that, that to me is terrifying because it's a form of terrorism in my mind. So, uh, but the question is if, if you have a sex robot and somebody is angry because they're not getting it because they don't know how to treat women, uh, and a, and a sex robot will never, ever complain. Uh, will that solve the problem? Well, you know, we, we probably have a, a lot of college listeners, you know, probably like three of them. And if they're in philosophy class, they should pose this question to their philosophy, you know, instructor. 
I, I'd love to hear, cause this is a philosophical question, right? This is deep. This yeah. is a very deep question. So um, I think this is I Alex. Think this what's your, what's your thought on this? I think it depends. No, because if if being an incel is caused by not having sex, then having sex with a robot would definitely stop them being angry. Would it would it help them accept women? Probably not. Like I don't know. Yeah, I feel like it, yeah, it, it, it's, I, I, they might yeah, chill out a little bit though. Yeah, they'll, I mean they'll definitely chill out. Maybe they won't leave the house. Yeah, well, I I I, uh, I got to tell you, uh, I uh, I don't have a sex robot, but I still rarely leave the house. Um, so, you know, that's cool. I, I don't know what that. It says anything. That, that concludes another fine edition of the sex robot. That was report. a great one. That will be that legendary. Was, That'll it? be in our archives for years. I, 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 yeah, maybe who knows, but, uh, uh, this is, I do want to ask you about this, Alex. So AI, uh, you know, they, they talk a lot about automation and AI. Uh, there's a conversation about all of this. Uh, I know that, uh, when, uh, uh, president individual number one was, uh, he, he was, uh, asked about, you know, bringing jobs back to America. And, and my thought on that was like, well, that's fine. If manufacturing jobs do come back to America, but they're going to all be automated. And, uh, but however, there was a, you know, I, I also heard a lot of research done that during the industrial revolution, a lot of people were worried about, you know, an industrialized work would displace a lot of workers as well, but those workers ended up just finding other types of work. Uh, what do you feel about automation as far as marketing goes, the future of that, even using AI uh, to do outreach, to do what we do? Uh, what's, what's your thought on that? I think Google, so automation is getting smarter. Uh, being able to send an email that looks real. Uh, hopefully that's around the corner, but also Google is being more aggressive with their spam filtering. So I mean, it's kind of a race on both sides. I, I think with, with AI, I mean, there's definitely a chance for America to become kind of the brain of the world, right? Like if all these coal miners started yeah. thinking about you know, how to optimize systems or how they could maybe hire some of the people in India themselves to do whatever work they could think of, you know, because all these people that their jobs are getting outsourced to are available on places like upwork.com. Like these guys could go out and, you know, start their own companies. Um, even coal, coal mining companies. Why not, uh, why not consult for some of the companies overseas, you know, uh, do some yeah. cold email outreach. I think there's definitely a lot of opportunities for, you know, the educated American or the American that can get educated using the internet. Cause most of the internet is in English. Uh, yep. I think there's a lot of opportunities for them. So I, I, I agree. I don't think, I don't think automation is going to kill, it'll kill jobs, but I don't think it's going to kill society. Well, it could kill people yeah. if it becomes self-aware and Skynet is live. Very true. And, and that's actually <laughs> that's actually why we do the sex robot report because uh, when our robot masters uh, take over, I want them to know that uh, I was compassionate to your plight. As uh, that's right. As yeah, as, yeah we as, love as you, Skynet. <laughs> so, uh, so do you think? But do you think uh, ultimately that AI would replace marketers in general? I so it's trying already. I mean, you've already got machine learning for advertising. Facebook's trying to guess what you like. Google's trying to guess what you like. And they're actually getting really good at predicting what you're going to buy um, to the point where, I mean, I could see it. I could definitely see, see marketers going away and the whole buying cycle changing where maybe you just think of a software and then Google presents the top three and then you just buy from that. Or maybe it doesn't even present the top three. You just already have the software that you need. Um, yeah. I don't know. In that case, you got to start selling something else or... Maybe the whole economy 
shifts and we become uh, like a Star Trek society where we're only caring about prestige instead of cash. But that I I feel yeah, like I don't yeah. know if that would happen without some kind of crazy revolution. Like I know even in the Star Trek universe, there was a dark ages before that. So <laughs> who knows? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, in uh, in uh, they they talked about uh, that uh, in World War Three. There were so many people that died that uh, uh, Captain Kirk cut Spock off mid-sentence. So we never did find out how many no. people died in World War Three or how it happened. Just... No, Alex, I have a question for you. Do you uh, do you watch the Marvel yeah. movies? So we have a we have a big story. Breaking, breaking news! news today. I just found out like an hour breaking ago. Breaking news: uh, James Gunn has been reinstated for Guardians of the Galaxy nice. Three. Yes, so he's uh, he is officially back. He's going to be directing it. So. Uh, so we were kind of excited by that, and uh, yeah, we wanted to we wanted to share that story on the air here. Now, I I, I um, got to tell you, I would have seen Guardians of the Galaxy three no matter what, but I'm going to enjoy it a lot more now that that it's out. Uh, it's going to be out with uh, with his script and his directing. But but think about this: 2016, when this all went down, if you would have said, uh, not only was he be fired, he'd go on to direct. Uh, he he would be directing uh, the Suicide, Suicide Squad, Squad two. two. And Guardians of the Galaxy three. I'm more excited for I'm more and, excited for Suicide Squad two because I really think that's a chance for him to actually reboot the uh, yeah. reboot the series. Oh, like Guardians I, of the Galaxy two. I hated Suicide Guardians Squad. Guardians of the one. Galaxy two. I didn't really. <laughs> I thought he was like retreading a lot of stuff. I think he's really strong when he's starting something yeah. off. So like Suicide Squad two, if he approaches yeah. it like Suicide well, Squad one, it's going to be good. I don't like I, like Guardians of the Galaxy three if it's the same as two. I, I didn't like Suicide Squad one, but I love the characters. I love the characters. So it has a lot of potential. Yeah, 100%. I don't like yeah. <laughs> Suicide Squad 2 had so much potential. It was almost edited like a music video, though. Like they lost so much. I oh, know it was straight up. It was straight up like an MTV music video. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, before we close out, Alex, what's your favorite geek thing? Uh, like just geek, 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 whatever. Uh, I, 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 have, I have something that I want to share, but what's your favorite geeky thing out right now or, or just in general? My favorite geeky thing out right now. Yeah. Just your favorite geek. The, the thing that you geek out about uh, right at the moment. I've been geeking out a lot over uh, like high end fashion recently, like off white and Louboutin and stuff like that. Just looking at that stuff. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, you can geek about whatever. You know, so, you what? Fashion's not. I'm, I'm not yeah, there no, yet. I totally, man. I'm not there yet. I want to get there though. <laughs> I, I love it. I think that's fantastic. My uh, my my son today. He uh, he's four, and uh, he decided that he wanted to paint his uh, fingernails pink, and he he, he fucking rocked it, man. That's I was awesome. like, yeah, do it. Yeah, he loves rainbow unicorns. I'm like, whatever. It's just you, you, you rock it. Uh, my uh, my geek thing that I'm I'm really geeking about right now is uh, I saw a show about a year and a half ago called The OA, and uh, on Netflix, which I thought was really good. It was it, you know it was it was pretty above average. They just released the preview for the second season. It's next level. It is next level. So I'm geeky about that. I've been watching a lot of these, like I've been watching like the Roger Stone documentary. That's it's been really fascinating because he, he shares like all his secrets for, uh, for PR or, you know, and they're all they're, had such a good strategy. What was the one? It was like, uh, it was never apologize if you're wrong. That's such yeah, a good yeah, never, yeah, never apologize. Always like always turn it around and like always, uh, always be on the offensive. Never apologize. Uh, never admit, never admit anything. And always attack. <laughs> So it, it was very interesting. So if you, he, they share like all 10 of his like stone isms and it's, it's like, Oh wow. Okay. This is exactly what Trump did. 
<laughs> Crazy times. Well, uh, Alex, where can we find you? Uh, is there anything you want to leave us with? Uh, you, anything you want to plug? If you want free content, you can go to youtube.com slash Alex Berman or b2bsalestraining.org. Uh, if you want to work with us and get more cornerstone clients, get more enterprise level clients for your company, that is over at x27marketing.com. And we'll throw awesome. a link to your YouTube awesome. channel on the show notes as well. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this was really informative. A lot of great information here. Uh, really appreciate your time. Uh, and uh, would you be back on the show again? Yeah, of course. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much. And with that, we close out another fine edition of the Marketing Geeks. Yeah. Uh, excellent show, guys. I I, uh, I I learned I learned a lot. In yeah, fact, yeah, yeah. I we actually inspired. learned quite a bit on this episode. Um, yeah, we actually stayed on topic like, the entire time too, which is amazing. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I, so so pick up the phone, people. Start making some phone calls do some emails like That's right listen listen to what our pal alex has to say because i gotta tell you uh wisdom was dropped right here knowledge and, bombs uh, drop the mic no- it's big stuff here. That's it. That's don't it. wait, don't wait for AI. Don't wait for AI to do your job for you. Do it yourself. Pick up the phone, cold call, cold email, outreach, get it done. And if you if you have success with this, let us know. You know, uh, uh, reach out to Alex on uh, on LinkedIn, even though he does, says he doesn't use it, but still connect with him and uh, uh, tell him how how awesome his advice was. And yeah, and if, if you're uh, if you're an enterprise level company and you're getting success from the show, please let us know so that we can use you in our cold emails that's right and uh <laughs> put you as a reference on our website and uh with that everybody thank you so much and once again 